Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome to episode one, which is technically two, I know that you see, of the Glad Chad podcast. My name is Jordan Pacheco. And I'm Rodolfo Carlos. We are so happy you're here. Welcome to a couple days after All Souls Day. You have a pretty good time, Rudy. Bless. Yeah, it was great, man. Uh, really enjoyed the the mass uh, for for All Saints Day mm-hmm. before All Souls Day. And then uh, you and me and uh, Jen and Ashley, mm-hmm. we, we got together on All Souls Day and we went to the cemetery to pray for the poor souls in purgatory. That was that was like peak trad, like awesome trad friend moment. Yeah. I feel sorry because you know I, there was a moment where we were we were down next to uh, next to the grave of one of Jen's relatives, and you know we we prayed a rosary, but we didn't do it in Latin. So are you even a real trad if you don't pray rosary on All Souls Day in Latin? I don't think it counts. I don't. We gotta go back. Remember that for the All Souls Day uh, indulgence, which remember only applies to the poor souls in purgatory, you need to, in the first nine days of November, visit a cemetery as well as have all the typical requisites for an indulgence, which means you have to pray for the intentions of the Pope. You have to have uh, gone to confession and received Holy Communion. Uh, There is also a special prayer associated with All Souls Day that you should pray as well. So oftentimes you could bundle this onto one day, go to mass, go to confession, Go to a cemetery, go in with friends is a wonderful thing. We prayed a rosary, as we said before, and then you pray the special prayer. And uh, hopefully a couple souls in purgatory will uh, be lifted from their unfortunate torments. And now you have intercessors in heaven, which is the best place to have an intercessor. Uh, better than a courtroom even, believe it or not. But I wouldn't know anything about that. It's kind of like, uh, pardon if it's a, a bad expression, but it, it's almost like an insurance policy. You're praying for some souls in purgatory. And then they're gonna pray for you. What is that? Is that Martin Luther coming to oh, no. coming to shut us down? Uh, <laughs> hey, did you hear that hammer at the door? That's it sounded right. like ninety nine theses. What was that thing that ninety five theses? <laughs> Whatever. No, no, he Who had ninety nine theses, but uh, but an indulgence ain't one. <laughs> <laughs> Catholics do not buy indulgences, by the way. No, when you never don't. have. I mean, I can't find it. What the heck? No, I. Come on, Martin. I've Luther. never personally purchased one. Oh, I mean, I've secretly purchased a phone. I've never been offered an opportunity to purchase Would one. you like to buy one now? Uh, how much is it? A uh, hundred bucks. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm kind of on a budget. <laughs> <laughs> we got budget indulgences. <laughs> Ooh, but, yeah, um, yeah, that was that was a great time. Uh, really, really enjoyed that. And then also, we went to the uh, International Life Services Gala. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That was the next day, right? That was absolutely yeah, right. Sunday night. So we got to we got to go to this this gala kind of near the Rose Bowl actually mm-hmm. uh, in Pasadena and it was for the International Life Services and they for ever since even before Roe v Wade have been fighting the pro life fight they've opened up uh, countless pregnancy centers in fact their pregnancy centers outnumber the amount of abortion facilities there are in the states mm-hmm. Deo gracias and on top of that so many of their pregnancy centers aren't just uh for counseling and for healing and for support in the conventional way they're also medical facilities in their own rights mm-hmm. which means that they can do ultrasounds and they have ultrasounds in plenty of these places uh so we got to meet a lot of the uh of the movers and shakers of that of that wonderful organization yep we also got to hear a, a keynote talk by Father Frank Pavone, mm-hmm. got to speak with him after. It was really edifying and, you know, gave gave us a couple of, of speaking points, you know, whenever you get put in, put on the spot trying to be an apologist against uh, abortion and uh, gave us the 
gave us some really awesome advice telling us, you know, the, the burden of proof isn't on us, it's on oh, them. They have to explain to us how, you know, abortion, which is often coined as a medical procedure, is, mm-hmm. you know, how is that a medical procedure? It's it's not. It's you know, not. It's you know, what's funny is that the point of a medical procedure is to, to regulate the body back to health, essentially. Mm-hmm. There is a problem in the body that's irregular, and whatever the medical procedure is, it's to get it healthy again. Well... Pregnancy is a healthy function of a perfectly functioning womb in a woman. Yep. So there's no parasite. There's no whatever they say, the horrible phrases that they have for babies inside the womb. And now we also learned, of course, is that because of this heavy push that the mask has come off, that now we have people openly campaigning for infanticide mm-hmm. in this country. And it's always been infanticide, of course. But now we're talking about even babies who are the uh, who are born due to a failed abortion are not protected, that they are still killed in countless of these facilities. And we're seeing that with a lot of expose videos that are coming out. We have a huge one in California yeah. happening Del- right now. Delighton? Yeah. Delighton case? Something like that. Yeah. 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 So... Please keep that in your prayers, of course. You should know that it was a very hopeful event, though. One thing that Father made very clear is that we are winning. That slowly and steadily, uh, facilities are closing. And also that our blood is up. And it's okay to get angry as long as the anger is is to a justifiable point And also that it calls us to a greater holier action. In this case, it is perfectly acceptable to be upset about abortion. It is the worst atrocity I can think of of the modern era. We are literally sacrificing yes. millions of children to ball. Yes. Uh and as a result, we need to to take that faith that Holy Mother Church has instilled in all of us, that desire to know that every single child is precious, no matter what circumstance he's in. Uh, and also, it, what was interesting, too, and what was good, too, about talking about this is it's not just about the children inside the womb and outside the womb, but how do we start the process of healing and turning a legitimate culture of life for the mothers, too? who a lot of times, unfortunately, have their heads filled with abortion being a viable option because they want to be safe, legal, and rare. Or even the only option, really. Mm, yeah. You know, the yeah. only option that they have. And they, you know, they buy into it and then they have to live with years of regret. Mm-hmm. You know? I think, you know, you hear so often now the, uh, the there's a whole movement about it called Shout Your Abortion. I don't, I don't think genuinely people feel good about that. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a horrible thing that that people are forced into, and yeah, it's awesome that this organization, International Life Services, they also have services for women who have suffered an abortion, or you know, people around them, the family, uh, you know, the husband or the boyfriend or yeah, whatever, that's you right. know, the people who push the the woman into the abortion, even you know, they have resources for that. So that was incredible to hear. And it refocuses you specifically in in the the reality that we are living in the church militant. That's right. We are the church militant. It's not just a, a website. We love church militant, by the way. Yeah. Michael Voris. Michael Voris. Get him. And everybody part of that team. Mm. But we are part of this church militant. And, and what that, that means is we're here on earth and we're, we're striving. We are working towards our salvation. We're trying to get to heaven. You know, it's not a guarantee. We're doing everything we can. And so this episode, we wanted to talk about, uh, you know, men and women who are so inspiring to us, the saints, or maybe they're not saints. I actually picked somebody who's not a saint mm-hmm. yet. I, I imagine in the next hundred, maybe 200 years, this this man is going to be recognized God willing, as a saint. Less. Yeah. 
these people they they inspire us they they uh, put a fire in us you they know uh, yeah. i spoke a fire the last episode uh, you know but these 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 people they they really they refocus you you know and and they 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 give you a purpose mm-hmm. they give you a purpose and they remind you that you're fighting for all kinds of things you know you're you're fighting for the salvation of your soul, the salvation of, of the souls of those people around you, the culture and everything. What's funny is I think about when we hear the term church militant, mm-hmm. which is something that uh, as a traditional traditionalist, you rediscover a lot of times mm-hmm. that there is the church militant. That's us on earth. There is the church suffering, which is the souls in purgatory. And there's the church triumphant, which is our brothers and sisters in the glory of God in heaven. And when it comes to the church militant, I'm reminded of a G.K. Chesterton article, which spoke of Gothic architecture. And he's looking up at this Gothic cathedral. Anyone who sees a Gothic cathedral, it's a very stark, kind of ugly looking thing. Imposing is a very good word. And what he realized and what he kind of comes to the conclusion is that, you know, these sharp, jagged edges, why don't they but represent swords and spears of a bristling army on the march? And that's what we as a church militant are called to be. At confirmation, we are called forth to be soldiers of Christ. And in these days especially, that is what we're doing. So when we read the lives of the saints or we see the heroic witness of so many good Catholic men and women nowadays, and there's a lot of them to be had, by the way, it's not just all darkness out on the horizon. We can really see what God is calling us to do for Holy Mother Church. So we picked a few examples of of holy men and women who who are fighting the good fight or have fought the good fight. Uh, in their lives, in those dark times, even when it seemed like the gates of hell was going to prevail against the church. But of course, we know of Christ's great promise that that's never going to happen. So I went a little a little classic with my uh, heroic saint. My current patron saint is Sir Thomas More. I have a very uh, high sort of uh, affection and admiration for the man and his his witness, even unto death for the sake of the church. So Thomas More reached the highest dregs of English society that you could reach at his time, uh, second to the king. He was Lord Chancellor of England. Essentially, uh, he was the prime minister, if you will. He was a crack lawyer, and he was also an extremely devout Catholic. He was a Catholic that believed that the expression of the law objectively given by God was made manifest in the subjective laws that humans made. So Sir Thomas More's life was about order and making sure that the balances which God had created stayed in effect. This, of course, naturally extended to marital law. And we all know the story with Henry VIII and his many wives, at the time his second wife, uh, and uh, Sir Thomas More refused the marriage. And this was something that was absurd to think about because all the nobles supported Henry's quote-unquote divorce and remarriage. Remember, the Pope would not annul it. Secondly, uh, a lot of the bishops, many of the bishops, in fact, there was only a couple of bishops who refused the uh, the king's marriage as well. Essentially, the church in England went along with it. They said, you're absolutely right. The Pope doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, we're going to go along with the king. And Sir Thomas More was silent. And it's very funny how in the modern church now, we talk about silence as a weapon. It's being reintroduced, I think, quite negatively. But there is actually a very, very key point of silence in the history of the church which should be talked about. And Sir Thomas More, understanding how the law, which was being ripped apart in real time in front of him, that this was the last kind of bastion of defense. What's funny also is that we realize with Sir Thomas More that silence, especially in the history of the Catholic Church, isn't actually silent. His silence spoke volumes more than anything else that he could have done. And 
It was the convictions to Holy Mother Church, the fact that Holy Mother Church believed that marriage was something that could not be dissolved, no matter if you were a king or if you were the poorest person in the realm. Uh, he stuck to it. He understood that once you let even one of these things slip, that the whole house of cards comes tumbling down, which unfortunately we have seen, I would say, in the modern Church of England now. Mm. So Sir Thomas More was martyred for it. He refused the king. They accused him of treason, which was laughable. And his last words were, uh, I am the king's humble and loyal servant, but God's first. Wow. And, and that was it. And so for me, Sir Thomas More, especially in, in these times, is such a such a hero because he, as far as anyone can tell, he did not receive the beatific vision on earth. Mm-hmm. He, he wasn't a mystic. He didn't know any mystics. He was a good Orthodox Catholic, a great Orthodox Catholic. He was generous. He was firm in his faith. His household was a model for plenty of other people, both in learning and in the reverence to the faith. Uh, and convicted convicted yeah. that's that's absolutely the right kind of word and that conviction did not waver even when he lost his position he lost his household he was locked in the tower of, of london for a very long time he couldn't see his family it sounds like job yeah yeah that's, that's like absolutely right story, yeah. and at the same time remember just like with job the world which is supposed to be ordered and righted that he was he was a part of came crashing down in front of him all of a sudden Catholicism wasn't Catholicism. The same churches and cathedrals that he grew up in and loved so much were Anglican, weren't Catholic anymore. And it seemed like what was the Catholic church was so far away. Uh, So I think Thomas More is a great witness of knowing that even when it seems like it's darkest, even when it seems like, you know, we're talking, of course, about idols in the Vatican nowadays. We're talking about the great sex abuse crises in the church we're talking about the summer of shame we're talking about the closure of schools and parishes and Mm -hmm. the retiring of priests and so many bad things it may seem like the gates of hell are going to prevail against the church but as long as you keep that internal island which god has placed inside you of the faith then that faith which can move mountains can also sometimes be the mountain and it doesn't change your disposition you know i imagine at the time that he was experiencing all of this it really did seem like everything was going upside down. Mm-hmm. It, re- it reminds me really of, of what we're experiencing right now. And it, it I can't help but feel that, uh, you know, things don't actually, like we're not too far off. I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly, but um, we're not too different. Yeah. You know, oh, no. it, it's almost, it's almost like a cyclical kind of thing that the church goes through constantly. Mm-hmm. It, it renews itself. Uh, perhaps there's some sort of uh, divine providence in in the fact that this happens every couple hundred years, yeah. you know, where where the church is tested, and then you know the faithful continue, and they get stronger, and then you know there may be some complacency, and then it goes through the the cycle. Oh, absolutely. I don't know. I, I mean, you know, that's that's just speculation, but. It's true, actually. I mean, we have yeah. to remember this. So say someone like St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi didn't just pop up out of the blue in the Middle Ages one day. Mm-hmm. Look what the Vatican had gone through. The pornocracy, which, uh, to quote uh, the great uh, Charles Colomb, was essentially the papacy and the cardinalate being run by Roman sluts. Wow. That's, that's exactly right. And it's true. We had generations, even, of, of popes being run by courtesans, uh in in the roman ring and so this of course is accompanying the great laxity of the clergy at the time as well i mean 
They were... Sound familiar? <laughs> That's exactly right. And the lady, I mean, that says nothing of the lady. And so from that, however, came the resurgence of, of orthodoxy and the beauty of God's grace with mm -hmm. the likes of St. Of Francis of Assisi. In Sir Thomas More's time, we have the Protestant Reformation. In fact, More wrote against Martin Luther. They, mm -hmm. they kind of indirectly jabbed at each other quite a bit, very meanly, by the way, very cleverly in that, that high Elizabethan <laughs> kind of writing. Uh, but look what happened from the Reformation. The fact of the matter is, that, again, the clergy was extremely lax. The laity was extremely lax. And from there, we have Trent. We have St. Pius V. We have Lepanto. Mm -hmm. We have the standardization, the organization, and the great beauty of, for instance, the Tridentine Mass that we celebrate comes from that great upheaval. Mm -hmm. I think it's the same nowadays. I think there is like these kind of 500-year cyclical things that the church goes through. Right now, we live in a world where we know that the clergy, a lot of them are obviously very lax mm -hmm. and are not living according to the tenets of God uh, has, has instilled for us. A lot of them are trying to change the faith even. That says volumes about the laity because it's not like clergy just pop up out of the ground. How many of us uh, are complicit in mortal sin? How many of us are complacent yep. in mortal sin? How many of us reject the teachings of the church no matter what because it doesn't really matter? Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, so it's not surprising that this happens. But what's nice also is that we can see, um, I'm sure as Rudy will talk about, that there are a lot of figures on the horizon mm -hmm. and, and the return on the horizon for people who understand that Catholicism is so rich and beautiful and it can stand against even the most turbulent of times in the world. You know who spoke about this um, in, in one of his... Um... I think it was a retreat that he was giving. Uh, Venerable Fulton Sheen was talking mm -hmm. about. Uh, this is a great video, by the way, if you want to look it up. Uh, there's, uh, I believe there's a video on YouTube called The Fourth Great Crisis in the Church. And he talks about the cyclical nature of, of the rise and fall of the church. Mm -hmm. You know, every 500 years, like you mentioned, it seems to be like there's a... Uh, you know, a, a massive upheaval and and then a period of orthodoxy, a period of growth. But yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, especially in those times, we're being called to to purify ourselves even more as as lady, you know, because we don't, you know, the church is a monarchy, a divinely appointed monarchy. Oh, yeah. And there's only so much that we can do as lady. I, I mean, we can't really affect uh, too much. Um, we can with prayer. And we can also affect how we how we build our families, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to purify ourselves. We have to work for our salvation and, um, and return to tra traditional forms of piety and really bolster our, our prayer life. Mm -hmm. You know that that's how we can affect change. But yeah, I think I think we are in a period of I I, I don't know I. I I tend to think that we're in a period of restoration. I think we're moving towards it now. I think we just got I think it. We're, yeah, like it's almost like we were on the fence mm -hmm. and now, or maybe for a better visual, we are we were at the the epiclesis of the mountain. You yeah. know, we were at the crest, and now it's all downhill from here. And yep. Not in a bad way, but like in a in an easy sort of not maybe maybe not an easy way, but now you know the right way, the right way, yeah. 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 So do you see so in terms of kind of us being here in the in the restoration phase, mm -hmm. hopefully. Because it is last year was a hundred years since Fatima, mm -hmm. which is why I think people began to realize that the summer of shame was quite providential. Mm -hmm. That God is using uh our, our sin to burn away the iniquities surrounding the faith or, or people of the faith 
or maybe to expose it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Shine some light on it. Yeah. So who do you who do you see? Who do you got? What would you say is 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 kind of the 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 rising stars that we can kind of look to? I think for me, I I had to I you know I thought because when we we talked about brainstorming about this episode, I, I started looking in the past and. Um, certainly the, like if I was to pick somebody in the past, it would be, um, Archbishop Sheen. Yeah, absolutely. but, but I decided I wanted to, to pick somebody who's still alive today and, and who had a big part in, in my, you know, uh, getting serious about my faith. It was, uh, Bishop Schneider. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Bishop Athanasius Schneider. God bless him. And you might be hearing a lot more about him nowadays because he is a maverick. He is a spiritual maverick. Yes. And, uh, you know, one of the, the famous things that, uh, you know, he might be known for, uh, recently is that, uh, there's a document that was created by Pope Francis uh, called the Abu Dhabi document, and in which there was an ambiguous sort of phrase, sort of um, kind of putting all religions on the same level. And God willing, the plurality of exactly, religions. Exactly. That's exactly what was in question uh, in this document. It was written that God wills the diversity and plurality of, of religions. And Bishop Schneider, who's like I keep I keep saying it, but he's just a maverick. He asked for clarification on this and um, and actually, you know, spoke to the Pope about it. And the Pope, you know, he realized that maybe he had said something ambiguous mm-hmm. and he corrected it. Unfortunately, he didn't correct it in the final document. He just made ver- a clarification verbally. verbally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Bishop Schneider for me is is an incredible uh, role model, I think, for many people, too. Um, I first heard about him two years ago. It was 2017, and I ran into a video. This is another good video resource if you uh, want to hear how he speaks and what he speaks about. Uh, he did an interview with I can't remember the show, um, but it was on EWTN. So if you go onto uh, YouTube and you type in Bishop Athanasius Schneider, uh, EWTN, the video will come up. And in this video, he was talking about. Um, one of the, the running themes of the of the the interview was uh, communion, Holy Communion, mm. the Eucharist, our mm-hmm. Blessed Lord. You know, we receive Him every Sunday in every Mass, and He was talking about communion in the hand. It was it was like a common theme, and He made this amazing example of this um, kind of interreligious dialogue that He had. Um, if you're reading His book, also He has a book that He just released. Uh, it's kind of like an interview format as well called Christus Vincit. Uh, he was talking about how he was in this interreligious dialogue. I think it must have been in Kazakhstan. He's mm-hmm. the, the auxiliary bishop of Kazakhstan. And he was talking about this uh, Muslim imam who to him, um, well, really to, to Muslims, to touch the Quran is 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 something sacred. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something very, very important to them. And so what happened is uh, at this conference, a uh, Protestant, he touched the Quran without washing his hands. And to that imam, it was a, a blasphemy. Mm-hmm. It was a, a very serious thing. And Bishop Schneider said it injured him in his heart. You know, Not Bishop Schneider, but for the imam, it was an injury to his heart. And he made this awesome example of, of you know, he was thinking, well, what if he put this imam in one of the masses 
and he got to see uh, our blessed Lord being handed out by, I don't know, Susan in her, in her, her grandma hot, sweater, yeah, you know, pantsuit. and people are receiving our blessed Lord in their hands. And, you know, and what would he say? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he would ask, well, what is this thing? What is this white uh, cake that you're passing out? And we would say, oh, well, that's our blessed Lord. And he says, oh, symbolically. He says, no, no, this is substantially our Lord. This mm-hmm. is God. And he would say, this is how you treat your Lord? And I think when I heard that two years ago, I I wasn't receiving in the hand. I was receiving in the mouth at the time. But it was so, it made so much sense to me that I wanted to shake the parish and, and, and like yeah. tell them like, guys listen this, this is, is a perfect example exactly of why right. we shouldn't do this mm-hmm. you know we we don't have consecrated hands we we don't have anything we're not priests we, we don't deserve to touch our blessed lord when we receive our blessed lord uh, from the hands of the priest that's something completely different yeah you know absolutely but we we as lay people we shouldn't be touching him it's a travesty, you know, <laughs> and that was the first thing that I, I I heard from Bishop Schneider. That's what put him on my radar. I, it's funny. I I brought it up to a friend, and I said, "Hey, have you heard of Bishop Schneider?" And he's like, "Oh, he sounds like you know a Sith, like a Star Wars <laughs> evil guy." You know, <laughs> I think I think nowadays for modernists, you know, they they kind of see him as oh, a bad a, guy. Oh, he's a hammer of heretics, all right. Oh yeah, he's a hammer for sure. But, you know, what strikes me the most about him, what is most inspiring about him is his character. He's not the kind of guy that is calling these things out, you know, to bring glory to himself or to to get a camera on him or anything. He is doing everything that he does out of love for our blessed Lord Mm -hmm. and for his church. So much so that... um, you know, he's on the radar of, of Pope Francis, of, you know, all kinds of powerful cardinals and bishops. And um, and people kind of label him as if he is some sort of enemy of the church. But mm-hmm. in reality, he's not. He's, he's a very holy man. So much so that in a, a recent interview with Michael Matt of The Remnant, uh, you know, he was, he was talking about how we really, really need to pray for the salvation of the soul of, of our, our Pope, Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that when we have that filial piety, that filial uh, charity yeah. for the Holy Father and faithfulness to him, despite whatever, I mean, we've seen, you know, the idols, he calls mm-hmm. them Pachamamas. We've seen all kinds of ambiguous, confusing things from our, our pontiff. It doesn't make him any less the pontiff. That's right. That's absolutely right. And, um, and so he's uniting all of us and, and saying, look, yes, these things are taking place, but we need to pray out of charity because when we do that, we are praying for the soul and the conversion of our Holy Father. And he mentions, you know, kind of like the last things he says, you know, at the end of his life, we're all going to have to do this. We're going to have to be in front of the, the divine judge. Mm-hmm. And perhaps in the last moments, you know, when he's there, He's gonna he's gonna know that the the people, the little ones that he may have condemned as rigids, that we really were his best friends praying for him. That's you know, right. Praying for for the best, the best for him, you know. So Bishop Schneider is it's just a hero, a hero for me. Um 
I really recommend his book and he has a, a fantastic story. I mean, his whole life is just a, a, a really fantastic story. You know, mm. he grew up in kind of like the German side of, of the, of Russia. Okay. And they yeah, had a little yeah. settle, settlement there. And, um, he talks about how his family emigrated there and his life that he experienced through communism and, you know, the hardships that, that his family and himself experienced, uh, being under such a brutal regime yeah. that's so hostile to religion it's atheistic and to the athe- core yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and and he he's just a really he has an interesting story and and i i really value him and, and see him as a spiritual hero of mine but you know i i don't want to um because i don't know i don't know what our demographic is so far but you know <laughs> i don't want it to be you know Maybe maybe there's a, a couple of women listening and, and you're like, well, what about us? You know, I don't want you to feel left out or anything because the call to, to virtue is not just for men. You know? Oh, yeah. Some women are, are called to it. So much so that, um, you know, Ashley and I, when we first started dating, we started thinking about, oh, you know, we had like a really nice conversation. We're like, oh, what would we call our children? You know, you know. Oh, oh the best conversation. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's, it's, it's great. And uh we we came up with uh, for a girl's name we wanted to name name her Grace which eventually mm. it, it evolved into something else because we were thinking oh well Grace is a good first name but might be a better middle name mm-hmm. so then we started looking at saints right and we settled on on Apollina Saint Apollina an oh. incredible saint yeah she was a, a virgin martyr and and she was you know she was down. She was just she she would not let let her faith be trampled upon, mm-hmm. and she I think is another great example. Um, she was asked to apostatize, and you know they gave her a choice, and she said no, and they kicked her teeth out. They kicked they, her teeth they out. Kicked her teeth out, and they asked her again, "Will you apostatize? Will you reject? Will you renounce Christ?" Mm-hmm. And she said no. And they said, "If you don't do this, we're going to throw you on the pyre, and you're gonna you're gonna die." And she just jumped into the fire on her own. She she jumped into the fire so that she didn't have to uh, renounce our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. God be praised. Exactly. Jeez, it's just well, you know that's that's earning the martyr's crown. Yeah, maybe we're not being called to be martyrs, mm-hmm. you know, or there's a couple of different kinds of martyrs, right? I mean, that's true. That's true. White, white martyrs, martyrs red, red martyrs. Maybe we're not martyrs called with to polka red. dot stripes. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we're not called to the red martyrs. Oh, if God is but... merciful, please no. And that's another thing too, real quick, is that Sir Thomas More, to go back to him, mm-hmm. was also one of those who martyrdom was not. He, he thought he could for time. He thought he could ride the storm because. Law and order is breaking around, you mm-hmm. know. So it's not like when God allows these situations for us to happen where we have to defend the faith. The fact of the matter is we have to be willing to have all the options on the table, even if we don't think an option is distant going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I remember you telling me St. Apollina's story a little earlier. That's wonderful. That is for your daughter. That's going to be a, an absolute uh, treasure of a, of a namesake. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, and as far as as to your point on Bishop Athanasius Schneider, uh, I don't want to do a trad flex on you, but the first time I saw him was actually a high mass. What? At, 
<laughs> a couple of years ago, uh, maybe three years ago. That hurts. At, at, yeah, at St. Victor's. He what? came He came and celebrated so with, with our, our current priests at St. Vitus. Wow. So and solemn high mass. A solemn high mass. Okay. I have a good video of wow. his. his I, didn't, I didn't know who he was, by mm-hmm. the way. But I knew that he was, I could feel that holiness. Mm-hmm. And that's a very important quality because when you find a man who is dedicated to God, and as you said, he's a very humble man. It's, 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 he's very non nobis domine, not to me, Lord, but mm-hmm. to you, the glory. Mm-hmm. And I haven't read his book yet, but in all the talks I've seen of his online, that's very much the case. There's something really exciting about the fact that our heroes of the faith and those most prominent are those who aren't drawing attention to themselves, right. but are always pointing to God. Fulton J. Sheen was like that yes, through his ministry. Mm-hmm. And that's a guy who could have taken all that power and run with it. But constantly through all the various programs that he did through his prolific writings, uh, I'm reading uh, The World's First Love right now, which is about the Virgin Mary. And what's lovely about that is that you can't read a book by Fulton Sheen without hearing his voice. Yeah, that's true. It's impossible, which yeah. is good. But it's, Always read it in his voice. And it's always to God and to Our Lady, mm-hmm. which is great. Uh, so this is a time, again, friends, that even if it seems dark and there's not a lot of allies, there are actually a lot of allies. And one thing that's really nice about uh the 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 internet space the digital space where for natural reasons this lives on because we're not projecting it through a megaphone uh out in los angeles we've already been kicked out from the square for doing that (laughs) uh is that you're actually we are discovering kind of new communities of of traditionalists and catholics who want to rediscover orthodoxy and and heroic virtue and it starts with us as a lady there is a call to holiness that the lady needs to answer and the fact of the matter is that in these days especially we have slacked in our duties to God. We have slacked in our prayer life. We have slacked in our in our mass intentions. We've slacked in our, our diligence and duties to our families, to, to what God has given us in our lives. And now there is that great call back. The church militant is on the march. Mm-hmm. And it's time to join this soft crusade uh, to give all the glory back to God again, because we have a lot to make up for. Uh, but hopefully things like this, uh, maybe a revamp in your own spiritual lives, moving again to to orthodox and tradition and away from the temptations and pleasures of the world, even those pleasures of the world that are inside the church now, is all very, very good things to show that that Holy Mother Church is here, that Our Lady and Our Lord are defending her at real time, and it's time for us now to pick up the slack and join the church triumphant someday uh, if we can run the foot race here. Yes. You know, that reminds me of a, a saying, I can't remember who said it though, um, but it, it's... It's this idea that virtue is not attractive on its own. I think we have to have it modeled for us mm. in order in order for us to be attracted to it and to desire it, That's to desire true. virtue, right? And what happens is when you when you start running the race and you're living a more virtuous life, you're praying, you're firing on all cylinders, you're inspired, you're going to inspire all kinds of other people too. And I think this is how we can start to to renew the church a little bit, you know. It starts with us. Yeah. There's only so much we can do. I mean, we're in, like I mentioned before, we're in a mon- we're in a monarchy. Thank God yeah. for it too. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a monarchy that was established by God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can't just say, oh, well, Francis isn't our pope. You know, yeah. we can't just pick our pope or whatever. You know, we 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 have to. Um, to kind of go along with the the foundations that have been given to us, mm-hmm. right? But when we take virtue and we take it, you know, full throttle, 
we're going to bring other people with us. That's true. And we're going to renew the church. And, you know, that's, and, you know, as we talked about with last episode with the growth of fraternity parishes mm-hmm. and the return, restoration mm-hmm. of the traditional mass and orthodoxy, it's that modeled virtue that we see first. The fact of the matter is that uh, for a lot of us, we might have known about the Latin mass. We might know about the saints, but until you see it tangibly witnessed, uh, until you can put a face to it, until you can put a smell to it, until you can put a sound to it, it just stays in the ether. And again, what's really lovely about this restoration is how we are firing on all cylinders now. We can go on YouTube and we can see Athanasius Schneider, Bishop Auxiliary of Kazakhstan, giving an interview and we can say, I'm interested in what he's talking about. Let's read his book. Let's see what he's about more. I, I'd never been to Latin Mass till I was a high schooler, mm-hmm. but I know the images of it. I had known the music about it. I had seen images on YouTube. In fact, if you type in, even now, listener, if you type in uh, Holy Mass on Google, about a third, maybe even half, but I think a third concretely of all the images you're going to see the Tridentine mass. is the Tridentine Mass. Mm-hmm. The priest is facing away from the people in that wonderful uh, elevation of the host as it becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's really cool is when you, you have that model, the, you know, in the priest mm-hmm. you you meet a holy priest and he's living his life for god and he's he's doing everything that he can not not to be like you know father jim bob who's who's your pal you know like hey yo let's talk about Call whatever Jay. no he he is an example for you mm-hmm. he is he's living out chastity he's living out virtue okay. he's praying every day mm-hmm. he's praying for you for everybody you know and when you see that modeled in a, a holy priest. Oh man, that is so inspiring. That's that's what really does it. And I've been very blessed because growing up, I've had some very, very good holy mm-hmm. priests to look up to. Me too. Uh, particularly in my very formative high school is when it started. And that now that we're here at St. Vitus, uh, our priests are wonderful and an absolute model of the kind of, of men that I want to be. And aside from that, of course, is even in the family life, you know, it starts with the home life, of course. It starts with your own disposition. And I saw it with my father, with my grandfather coming up, the kind of man that I was called to be, the prayer life set forth by my father and grandfathers, uh, the the sort of virtues that they instilled inside me, the ones that I'm, I'm trying to gain every time asking the grace of God. Um, but it's wonderful when you really see that Catholic community, that Catholic culture starting to reshape. When people just naturally, it's a natural disposition with the grace that God has given them to live out the virtues, to live out their heroic identity as Catholics. Yeah, and you and I are, are you know, we're we're getting ready to to uh, go into the vocation of marriage. Yeah, that's right. Not together. Not we're, together. That'd not, be, not you and me. Be, <laughs> the church doesn't allow that. <laughs> Thank God. Sorry, sorry, Slim Jim. Sorry, Slim Jim. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, we're we're moving towards that. Mm-hmm. And and what that means is we have to build a, a domestic church within our home. That's right. You know, we got to model it in our home and, you know, we're, we're a building block. Mm -hmm. We're a building block of the church, the family, you know, talked a little bit about that in the the, the last episode, you know, finding the families at at our traditional parish. Yeah. Well, that was an absolute wonderful, glad trad little segment, wasn't it, Rudy? That was, yeah. I think people are feeling really happy. I feel good. I feel good, actually. But hold on. I actually feel. uh, What's wrong? I feel a little. Mm -hmm. Oh, 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 what's it? Is it what I think it is? 
Oh, angry <laughs> surge madness. Oh, <laughs> this doesn't feel good. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. It's now time for the moment you've been waiting for the Mad Trad Podcast. Well, you know what? I'm actually really pissed off. <laughs> I'm legitimately pissed because I got a I got a letter in the mail from the Archdiocese. Was it a dear yeah. John? It's a dear Rudy. Dear Mr. Carlos. Oh, uh, Mr. Carlos is your father. And you already know <laughs> you're you're gonna get, you know, a letter asking for money. How much do they want? They want five hundred million dollars. No. <laughs> yes, five hundred million dollars. And so what really ticks me off about this is I I look at the number that they want, and then I think immediately to the amount of money that's been paid out. Oh, for like the sex abuse. Yes. Oh. Especially just in our archdiocese. Oh okay. my gosh. It's it's a ridiculous number. I mean, just to give you, you know, give you an idea of what's going on here. Um, in 2007, there was a $660 million payout. $660 million. 660. 2014, 13 million. And just last year, there was a, the largest payout in history, mm-hmm. $8 million. So just, just one just person? Just to one case. Oh, no. Just Those to one case. the Barajas thing. Yeah. You know, to remind everybody, the Archdiocese of Los Angeles is the largest diocese in the United States, which means that these payouts are extremely serious. $660 million Just So how much, hang on, how much is the Archdiocese asking for again? $500 million. $500 million. So I get upset when I see stuff like that because it's like, you know, all of that money that you paid out for abuse, for, you know, just absolute terrible, terrible things, mm-hmm. you know, that that shouldn't ever have happened. Yeah. You know, when you ask for that much money and, and you compare it to all of that, it's like, ah, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I can't. And this isn't stuff, that, this isn't stuff that's happened in the past. We're not talking about things that happened in the 90s or the 80s. No, this is still this is something ongoing. You know, I got I to gotta tell you that one of the most frustrating things, well, for obvious reasons, is this. So the fact of the matter is that St. Vitus was the first church opened in a very long time. I remember that very distinctly. Churches are closing across the nation, friends. And it's churches and it's schools. And some reasons I think are very positive. The fact of the matter is that we're moving bad clergy uh, ever since the, the Pennsylvania grand jury is a wonderful, good thing. The fact of the matter, however, is that there's a bloodletting and a retribution coming. And I think that it is, of course, uh, inspired because God is punishing us properly for the laxity that we've allowed the sin to creep into the church. Something interesting to think about is this. The arch, or I think it's just a diocese. The diocese of Albany is going bankrupt because of the sex abuse crisis, because we didn't fix this when we had the opportunity to fix this. The Diocese of Santa Fe, where a lot of my family lives because they're New Mexican, is bankrupt because of the same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the financial bottom line of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles is, and I'm a little scared to think about that. But the fact of the matter is that we've had a tremendous payout and it's only going to get worse. These things that we see east where they've lifted the statute of limitations in New York for victims of priestly and clergy abuse is something that's going to roll over the entire country. And I think rightly so, by the way. But the bigger point is this. You do have an obligation to support your church. Right, the tithe. The tithe, Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm -hmm. right. Uh, You also have an obligation as a Catholic, however, to make sure that you know that your money is being used for the greater good of God. 
And doing, just giving your money willy-nilly to the uh, renewing God's gift campaign, whatever the heck it's called for the archdiocese that we see annually, right? I'm it sure seems you, to always have renew in it. Always yeah. renew. You're, something, something renewal. You know, the worst part is, the worst part is in my, so I come from Colorado and I do remember this, my podunk little parish, uh, Our Lady of the Visitation, which I love, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, it's very like, very, very... Uh, very boomer, shall we say. <laughs> they, but whenever it came to the returning God's gift campaign, they would always wheel out the TV. Yikes. You know, in the middle of a homily. That's pretty and cringe. we'd watch, oh man, can you imagine that? Can you imagine if that happened at a traditional mass? Oh, that's bad. Man. I'd probably leave. So yeah, so you don't listen. There are plenty of ways to support your church and even the greater Catholic communities. There are countless religious organizations, including the fraternity, uh, including different religious orders, uh, who are very, very good about using your money properly, that you can build up with the glory of God without worrying about your money going towards things that really should have been solved by by the people who are above us. In the same letter, it said that they had already accomplished 60% of their goal. Well, they've already, so that's what? So they've already acquired, million? yeah, they've already acquired 60% of that $500 million that they're asking for. Ooh. And what's really annoying and pisses me off is that the people that have given the money, they've probably given it with good intention. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But what they don't know is that, you know, this money somehow gets funneled to different parishes. And you can never, here's the thing, like you can never, you can never know because it's always at the discretion of a particular priest. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you, you know, Father Jim Bob gets a sizable portion and you can, you can kiss it goodbye. Yeah. Like that money is not going to go anywhere responsible. It's going right. to it's going to be spent frivolously or by know? his boyfriend spent frivolously. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing and it's just very annoying to me that like people people give nowadays and they don't know what they're giving to. Yeah. They they have, you know, they just oh, yeah, here's my wallet, take it. And it's like, no, you got to know what you're giving to. You, you got to know where your money's going mm -hmm. and you got to you gotta tithe responsibly. That's right, tithe responsibly. And it's unfortunate because I understand, of course, that as a Roman Catholic, we want to live in a world. And I think for a second, there was a world where if I give my money to the church, it's going to be used for the purposes of the church properly. Our grandparents didn't have to worry about uh, a clergy sex abuse crisis like we're worrying about. Mm -hmm. Although the seeds were being sowed at that time, unfortunately. For every one Catholic that's coming into the church, six are leaving. And by the way, those ones who are leaving do it at the college level. I want to be able to give my money to my church and knowing that it's being used for God's purposes. Mm -hmm. Not for the purpose of covering up because it is a legitimate cover-up happening across all sorts of dioceses. If I send my children to a Catholic school, I want them to get an authentic, traditional Catholic education. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just send them willy-nilly because, oh, it had the word Catholic in it. Nowadays, you can't be ignorant on this sort of thing. We are at war, as we have stressed time and time again. That means with your money. That means with your prayers. That means with your time. That means with your focus. And that also means that you need to make sure that every single cent you're getting and going is, is going to the right kinds of channels. So until the archdiocese, for me, puts better measures in place and really proves that they're moving for an authentic Catholic experience, until the archdiocese burns down the religious education conference, Yikes, <laughs> then I give my money directly to the fraternity of St. Peter. Or if or anything, anything, you know, yeah. sponsor a, a seminary oh, or, or something. Easy you know? important, yeah. Um, there are, there, again, there are plenty of religious orders. The Norbertines here in Southern California are wonderful. You will know them by their fruit. If you if yes. you see something, if you see a community that's thriving, if you see a priest that's doing that's doing well, 
you know, go to him, mm-hmm. go to go to that community and and ask them, how can I help you? That's true. You know? Give your money where it's going to be used properly. Something to be very uh, mindful of is if you're going to withdraw your funds from archdiocesan pledges or maybe a parish's money, to be very, very clear about why you're doing it. Because we want to also instill that there is a rising surge of people who are very aware of what's going on and they, they reject it. So maybe you peg a letter to the archbishop. Maybe you write uh, your priest. Maybe you... you uh, be very clear why you're withdrawing money from a particular organization that you thought was very Catholic that it turned out was taking money from the Ford Foundation or something. <clears throat> <laughs> and you say, hey, listen. It's just very important to know that, listen, as Catholics, we have this sort of obligation. We have to be very conscious of everything that goes on in the church. And remember, we are trying to renew the church, or legitimately renew the church, yes. not just the mamby-pamby way that we see in these diocesan letters. Yeah, not just the the feel-good kind of, oh, here's a letter, here's a video of all these kids, you know, like okay. having a good time, painting a, a, pink, a picture, you know. Like, I'm oh, not Catholic, Catholic kids. but thank you for helping me and my atheist parents get a, <laughs> a transgender operation. Yikes. We're only well, in your way. I, I know, I'm I cutting it. I don't know. Uh, too that. far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thank you. And, Second episode. Uh, All right. Yeah, I, you know, I hope we're not turning you off with this mad trad stuff. You know, this is ultimately a glad trad podcast. We are really glad, as you can tell. I mean, there is a lot of great things that are happening inside the church. We just have to be mindful of 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 cleaning everything up too. Yes, at the same time. But listen, the 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 slogan of the glad trad podcast at this time, at least, is is resus et bellum. Which you know what that is. Trademark. <laughs> Trademark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Reese's at Bellum. That means laughter and war, mm. by the way. And that's exactly how we as a church militant need to go forward. We are God's army, or at least we're tempted to be God's army on earth a little bit. It's an exciting time, honestly. And with all the good things that are happening, we have to be able to smile at the at the grace which God has given us, at the joy which should be in our hearts as traditionalists. And also we have to gird our loins a little bit and fight like a man. Smile while you unsheath your spiritual weapon, the rosary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that will terrify the devil more than anything, certainly. And keep that thing on you. Mm-hmm. That's right. right. Remember, please, 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 the daily rosary, all the prayers, supplication, penance, confession, Eucharist, go to Mass as often as possible, of course. Really get the graces of God that he is giving upon the world, washing over your own soul. Yes, especially go to Mass. Always go to Mass. Go to Mass. No more excuses. I see you in the back there. Stop it. Hey, and if you would like to come and visit us at St. Vitus, we extend uh, an invitation. Yes. And we would love to see you there. Yes, I can even give you the Mass times. We have a 7.30 low Mass. That means there's no singing. A 9 o'clock high Mass. Which is my favorite. Which is my favorite. Do that one. An 11 o'clock high Mass, which is also very good. And a 5 o'clock low Mass. So there, now you have really no excuses. We also have weekdays, but you can go to fssp.la. That's the website. And you can see exactly when the mass times are. And remember, there's confession half an hour before every single mass. That's wonderful. You have no excuse. You don't need to stand in that line that's 12 people long on a Saturday while all the the Susans go before you. You know what the best part of it is, though? Even if there's 12 people ahead of you. The cool thing is that it's always always very clear-cut, straight-shooter stuff. All right? People, 12, there's 12 people ahead of you, but they're going through the number, the circumstance, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, 
they're going in there and they're coming out real quick. So. We're gonna we're gonna have to do a little podcast on on the tenets of what makes a good and proper confession. Yes, absolutely. So that you could please God and not piss off your neighbor <laughs> <laughs> and save your soul and save your soul, which is most important. All right, everybody. Well, God bless you and Mary keep you from here at the Glad Chad Podcast. We will see you guys later. Goodbye. Adios. Oh, 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 oh,